0: Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to, to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. When they came to Elim, there there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, family of God. I want to take a second just to quiet our hearts before God. If you could bow your head with me, I want to prompt you in a few prayers. First of all, I just want you to think about any burdens that you're carrying this morning. Scripture tells us that we can cast our burdens on Jesus because he cares for us. So just in your heart, why don't you just take a moment to name your burdens before God and put them on his shoulders and ask him to help you with them this morning. Second, I want to ask you to confess any sin in your life, and you might even ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind any sin that you may not be aware of, but that would be hindering you from hearing God clearly this morning. Scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment where you are to confess your sins to the Lord. Third, I just want to prompt you to pray about any distractions. All of us have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Some of it may be hard things. Some of it may be good things, important things. But would you just bring your distractions before the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want to be responsible with this, but I'm going to ask you to take care of it right now so I can focus completely on your word. And finally, I just want to prompt you to take a moment just to plead with the Lord to help you to be very teachable from the scriptures this morning, that he would speak to you and that you would hear. Our Father in heaven, we praise you because you are a merciful and good God. You have treated us so much better than we deserve to be treated. You gave us life. You gave me life, Lord. You gave us this church family. You sent people to share the gospel with us. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. You sent the Spirit to fill and instruct and comfort us. So we praise you for all these things. And right now, we are desperately dependent on you. Lord, we're prone to error. We're prone to sin and outright rebellion. And sometimes we're prone to error even when we're trying to do what's right. So forgive us for our sin, our rebellion, our error. And we say right now that as your children who trust you and love you, we are desperate to be instructed by your holy word. So send the Holy Spirit now, we pray, in abundant measure to be our teacher this morning. To give us attentiveness, to give us understanding, to give us reverence and faith and obedience. So that Christ would be exalted in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been praying a lot for this morning because I think that this section of Exodus that we're getting into today is one that has some really important things to teach us as disciples of Jesus right now. These scriptures could be a great help to us and a great blessing to us if we can really internalize them. And to help illustrate the reason I want to start by saying this, I would suggest that one of the most important self-diagnostic questions that each of us could ask ourselves as Christians to help us get a feeling of our spiritual health or of our spiritual maturity would be this. How do I respond when I face situations of pain and struggle Such that it feels like God has abandoned me. You might want to write down that question and think about it. And I want to say from the beginning, if as you reflect on this question, if the answer doesn't come back very encouraging, that's okay because God still loves you. We're going to read about that today. But this can help you be aware of some areas of needed spiritual growth that will be a real blessing to you. How do I respond? You might as well be honest with yourself because God already knows the truth. You don't have to tell us. Right. How do I respond when I face situations of pain and struggle such that it feels like God has abandoned me? You might ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind. How do you respond? There's some other related questions we could ask that would help with this. When I'm going through wilderness seasons, I think you know what I mean by that, but it'll become clear before the day is over. When I go through wilderness seasons in life. What is the focus of my thoughts? Like when you're laying in bed at night, when you first wake up in the morning, when you're on your lunch break. What are you thinking about when you're going through a wilderness season? Is it I'm frantically thinking about how I'm going to get out of the situation, how I'm going to escape or how I'm going to fix it? Or is it something about God? That's where we would like to be, right? Related question. What do my words... Attitudes and actions during dry wilderness seasons reveal about my concept of God. So when I'm talking about concept of God here, I'm not talking about what we would all say if we were asked to say, what is God like? Because we know how to give the right answers, right? God is good. He's faithful. He's loving. He's just. He's eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, etc. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's good. But when I'm being squeezed by life... Do my words and attitudes and actions suggest that I really believe that? That's the diagnostic question. Here's the truth we need to remember today, which today's biblical text is driving home for us. Saints of God, Christians, followers of Jesus, forgiven sinners, God is with you in the wilderness. Children of God, He is with you in the wilderness. No matter what you think, No matter how you feel, Jesus is with you in the wilderness to guide you, to protect you, to forgive you, to provide for you, to heal you, to correct you, to teach you, to refine you as you walk through the dry seasons. If you and I can learn to believe that to receive that word from the Lord down into our hearts so that we live its truth, this will go a long way towards helping us become healthy, mature, steadfast followers of Jesus Christ. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is with you in the wilderness. That's what today is about. The text of scripture that we're getting into today is all about the wilderness. You can see the word twice in verse 22. Look at verse 22 again. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the... There it is. Everybody say wilderness. Wilderness. Of sure. They went three days in the what? They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So you might underline that word wilderness. It appears twice. And for the rest of Exodus, for lots of chapters, we're going to be talking about the wilderness. The people's struggles in the wilderness, but mostly God's grace in the wilderness. That's what a lot of the book of Exodus is going to be about. So let's just think about the wilderness for a second. First thing to notice here is they didn't wander into the wilderness by accident. Verse 22 said, Moses made Israel go out from the Red Sea and into the wilderness. But who was leading Moses? God was. Pillar of cloud by day. Pillar of fire by night. So what we're saying is God led the people into the wilderness on purpose. So if you go read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll read that after the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. We already read in the book of Exodus that after his initial awareness of his calling from God to be the deliverer, Moses messed up in a big way. And then God took him out to the wilderness for 40 years to be refined and trained In the wilderness, before God appeared to him in the burning bush and said, now you're ready. Go tell the people to come out. Go tell Moses to let my people go. So the point here is that God will lead his people into the wilderness on purpose because he loves us. That's something we got to think about. What is the wilderness? Well, the wilderness is a dry place. It's a hot place. Or a cold place at night. It's a desolate place. The wilderness is a place outside of the comforts and distractions of human civilization. In the wilderness, we don't have the comforts of human civilization, human society, but we also don't have the distractions to deal with. In the wilderness, our souls are laid bare before ourselves. God already knew what was in there. But in the wilderness, we find out what's in there. In the wilderness, we're often forced to take a hard look at ourselves. See what's going on inside of us. And it seems to be, in the Bible and in Christian history, that the wilderness is a place where God's people frequently hear his voice more clearly than elsewhere. You see, when we're talking about the wilderness, we're talking about a literal, physical location. They are out in the wilderness for reals. That's not a metaphor. But throughout the rest of the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, the wilderness becomes not only a real place that God leads his people out to, but a kind of metaphor for the spiritual geography, as it were, that God leads us into during important times of our spiritual formation. Sometimes he takes us up on the mountain, right? Sometimes he takes us down in the valley. Sometimes we pass it through the river People just pass through the Red Sea But now God's leading them into the wilderness And there is a spirituality of the wilderness Which emerges in Scripture We talked about it in Mark chapter 1 A couple years ago That word desolate place or wilderness Shows up over and over That's where God was dealing with the people Dealing with John the Baptist Dealing with Jesus The people were coming out to find God And hear His voice in the wilderness Away from the distractions Now When we talk about hearing God's voice in the wilderness, though, I do not want you to think that the wilderness is a place where if you go there, you're going to have some wonderful devotional experience. In other words, the wilderness is not the green pastures, y'all. It's not the same thing. It may be that you hear a word in the wilderness that gives great comfort to your soul. It may be that God speaks to you and comforts you and encourages you there, but... It so happens that over the last few months, I got—I was reading several different Christian books about the spirituality of the wilderness. And one of the sentences I read that stuck with me is that Christians who have gone out into the wilderness over and over again to pray over the years, to spend seasons in prayer... Um, have a message for us that we need to hear when we're going through our wilderness seasons, which is that in the wilderness, you're not necessarily going to have some beautiful experience of God that makes you feel real happy. This is not the mountain of transfiguration. But in the wilderness, what might happen is that you finally see your boredom, your triviality. Uh Uh-oh. You finally see how shallow you are. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just... this. The sentence hurt my feelings before it hurts your feelings. Sometimes we need to go out to the wilderness to get our feelings hurt, maybe, is part of what we're saying right here. The wilderness exposes us. Have you ever had the experience in your Christian life It's like, I'm following Jesus, I'm full of faith, thank God that I'm doing good, and then some situation hits you and it's like, oh, never mind. Now all of a sudden I'm angry and impatient and proud. The wilderness often exposes to us our junk. But the spiritual benefit is then, then we have the opportunity to say to God, I'm much more of a mess than I thought I was. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we can come out of there knowing God in a deeper way than we would have before. This section is all about the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the people faced some hardship. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Verse 22. And then verse 23, they came to Mara, but they couldn't drink the water in Merah because it was bitter. Make them sick bad water. Now they're facing their first hardship since God delivered them. Let's not forget who we're talking about. These are the children of Israel. They were slaves very recently. And then God with power and with steadfast love did 10 big old plagues, defeated the Pharaoh, defeated all the gods of Egypt, set them free. He's been guiding them by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He just parted the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea. And then God sent the Red Sea down on the Egyptians. So have they seen God's power? Have they seen his steadfast love? But now they're going through some hardship. How are they going to respond is the question. Well, we see two responses in this text. In verse 24, we read, and the people grumbled. Mm. might circle that word. That's, that's going to be a key word in Exodus. It's going to be a key word in Deuteronomy. Numbers is going to show up a lot. Everybody say Grumbled. The text says they grumbled against Moses, but God understands, and he's going to say in a chapter or two, and he's actually going to say repeatedly, Moses, they're not grumbling against you, they're grumbling against me. Because the real issue is that they're doubting the power and steadfast love of God, and they're frustrated with their circumstances. Ultimately, they're frustrated with God, so they're projecting that out on other people, and Moses is an easy target for it. So they're grumbling against Moses, And in this text, actually, you'll see there's no rebuke here. There's no rebuke. God patiently instructs, graciously encourages and instructs the people. But it's going to happen over and over and over again. And eventually the Lord is his anger is going to be kindled and he's going to discipline them for this grumbling. So that when we get to first Corinthians in chapter 10, Paul warns Christians, don't grumble. Like those folks did. We find a God who is patient to instruct his people, but who also knows how to diagnose the spiritual problem here. The problem is not just that Moses is an imperfect leader. That's true. That's true. But their grumbling against Moses is really about the fact that they do not trust God. That's what's going on. Moses' response in verse 25 is this. And he cried to the Lord. The people grumbled against Moses, projecting on him their frustration with God, and Moses cried out to God for help. Lord, help us. I'm not going to say a whole lot about those responses right now, because that's really not my focus today. But, pop quiz, which one of those do you think is a better response? I was expecting some confidence and consensus on this one. Who responded better, the people or Moses? There we go. Here we go. Moses responded better. It made me think of Psalm 62, 8. Trust in the Lord at all times, pour out your hearts before Him. And a few months ago, when I was studying that passage, I noted many, many Bible commentators, ancient and modern, said, and uh, commenting on Psalm 62, 8, it's so important to pour out our hearts to God because, in general, we pour out our hearts to everybody else besides God, right? And if they were around today, they'd say, we pour out our hearts to Facebook. and We all get on there and get all riled up together, right? We all get worked up. Or we pour out our hearts to Instagram or to Twitter, shouting into the void of social media. Has that ever left you with a sense of deep spiritual peace? Why do we keep doing that, y'all? God's people, we've got to be wiser than this. Sometimes we pour out our hearts to our friends, Christian friends. That's better. Or to a pastor asking for insight. That's better. Sometimes we pour out our hearts to whichever friends are going to help us feel like we're right and the whole world's against us. That's worse. Sometimes we pour out our hearts to our journals. That's okay. But what Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your hearts to God. Take it to God. And so if you're struggling, friends, and you're mad at people and you don't even know why, and you're frustrated at people and you can't quite articulate it and you like to clear up the relationship, but you can't do it. Maybe you should talk to God about it. That's all I'm saying. It might be that the issue is with him. Clear up the relationship if it needs to be cleared up. Don't get me wrong. Did y'all hear me say don't clear up the relationship? Thank you, Chantel. Everybody turn to your name and say, clear up those relationships. But I'm just saying, if there's a grumbly pattern in your heart towards God, you need to talk to God about it. Moses doesn't just grumble, Moses cries out, Lord, help us. And guess what? God helps him. God hears the prayer. God answers. He does it. Today, I don't want to focus on the people's response, though. We're going to have a lot of time to analyze the response of the people over the coming chapters. It's going to be like a mirror to us, helping us see our sin, but also our faith and our growth. Lord willing. But right now, I just want to focus on God. Because I think one of the main things this text is trying to say to us is, when you're in trouble, you should be focusing on God. Focus on God. Here's here's another set of questions. I started the sermon with some diagnostic questions for ourselves. but Here's a set of questions which really may be better, more helpful questions, more important ones. Here's a basic question. Who is God? That's a good question to ask in the wilderness. Here's another one. What does God reveal about himself during the wilderness wanderings of Israel? Or maybe we can make this more personal. What truths about God do we need to remember when we find ourselves in the wilderness? And there's several in this text. Let's talk about them together. We're going to talk about God because this is all about God. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. Truth one. Truth one is that God provides for his people. God is the provider. Look again at verse 25, the first half of the verse. Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Problem solved. That was easy. All they had to do was ask, right? They're they're grumbling out here. We're going to die. We can't drink this water. It's going to make us sick. And Moses just prays about it. Listen, they already saw God turn the water into blood where it was no longer drinkable. They already saw God part the water. Why would they think that God cannot take this bitter water and make it healthy and drinkable. Well, the reason they think that is because they're suffering from something that we often suffer from, which is a kind of willful spiritual amnesia. We forget about God's steadfast love. And we think in the moment he's going to rip us off or he's going to leave us hanging or he's going to abandon us because we're forgetting the track record of God. But Moses just says, Lord, help us. What do we do? And God's like, "Uh, take that stick, throw it in there. Problem solved. It's a miracle. God does a miracle here. And it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the patience and the mercy of God. Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where, the, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. They didn't know about that. They didn't have Google Maps. Probably wouldn't have been reception out there anyway. But God knew about it. And God's like, okay, I'll fix this water for you. And then let's go over here. I got an oasis, 70 palm trees. Did God take care of you in your hard times? Has God ever abandoned you in your past struggles? Then why do we keep thinking he's going to abandon us in our present struggles, friends? A lot of times we're like the children of Israel here, but the Lord is speaking to them this encouraging word. He's saying, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. Just cry out to me. This is what Jesus is talking about. When he says, look at the birds of the air, God feeds them. Look at the grass of the fields, God clothes them. It's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 12, 32, when he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, fear not. God will provide. Second, the text teaches us that God guides his people. God guides his people. We can just look at the... Same two verses, God tells Moses, Moses, as soon as Moses asks, throw the stick in the water. And then in verse 27, God led him to Elam where the springs of water and the 70 palms were. They thought God was going to abandon them, but God has literally put a pillar of cloud and fire in front of them, right? I feel the same way. So, I mean, if you look, if you look at this, there's, there's a big old cloud. Can you picture it? By day, they go to bed at night. And what's up there? A big old pillar of fire. God's saying, just follow this. And they're like, God, are you going to lead us or not? Sometimes we're like that. God, are you going to tell us what to do? And the Bible's sitting on our desk unopened. God has spoken to us. God guides us. There's a whole lot we could say about God's guidance, right? God guides us through his word as we read and meditate. And I'm not talking about the... Spiritual roulette thing where you open up your Bible and stick your finger in there and it says something you do it. I'm talking about being a people who read the Bible and study it and meditate on it so that we know the heart and the priorities of God so we know how to navigate life. I'm talking about God guides us through a spiritual community. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I'm talking about God guides us as we pray and ask him for insight. James promises if we ask the Lord for wisdom with faith, he's going to give it to us. He'll give us insight to evaluate the situation. God guides us as we pursue spiritual health. Romans 12:1 and 2 teaches that after we have uh, no longer been conformed to the pattern of the world, but we have grown in spiritual health such that we've been transformed by the renewal of our minds, then we'll be able to discern the will of the Lord. So as we prioritize christ this, we're going to know what to do. But if we're living in sin, asking God to tell us what to do It's never going to happen. There's a lot that could be said about guidance. But for now, I just want to give you one verse of Scripture, or two verses, one passage. A lot of y'all know it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We teach it to the kids at Christ Community Church. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It starts with simple faith. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God will provide for his people. God will guide his people. Third thing is God is the healer of his people. He's the healer of his people. Look at me at verse 26. I'm going to skip to the end of the verse because I'm going to talk about the first half of it in a minute, but. God says to the people, if they'll hear his word and respond with faith and obedience, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God is your healer. healer. And they're worried about this because of of the problem of the water that's going to make people sick. But God's saying, listen, you've already seen I'm sovereign to be able to strike the Egyptians with plagues. But you need to know, I don't just do on plagues, I do on healing. And really, that's God's heart. That's God's heart. Think about the ministry of Jesus, how many times he heals people over and over. He's doing it. Now, I know there's some saints struggling here that you've got some physical stuff going on in your life. You've got some emotional stuff that you're going on. Maybe there's mental stuff. Maybe there's wounds in your heart or in your life that feel like they will never heal. And I just want to proclaim to you this word. God is your healer. God is your healer. Some of those things he will heal immediately. All of them are going to get healed when Jesus comes back. But he is your healer. So if you think, am I going to have to walk around with this sickness, with this pain, with these scars, physical, emotional, spiritual forever? No, Jesus is going to heal all the wounds. Next point is one that is really important for us to remember in the wilderness is that God refines his people in the wilderness. God refines his people in the wilderness. Look with me at the second half of verse twenty five. There, in the wilderness that is, and there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. Now that's an important word. I want you to circle that word, tested. And when I'm talking about God refines his people, this is what I'm talking about. Because this theme of testing is a... Frequent, recurring theme throughout the Bible. It shows up a lot. James tells us to rejoice when we face trials of various kinds because the testing of our faith produces perseverance or steadfastness. Testing. Testing. If you want to understand what this means, I encourage you to memorize Proverbs 17.3. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver... And the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. Now, I I actually wish that we had a different English word because I think the word testing is misleading as a translation of the Hebrew word and the Greek word here. Because when I hear the word test, my default is to think of something probably what you think about. I picture a little kid sitting at a desk with sweaty palms and a multiple-choice test in front of them, trying to fill it out. Or I have flashbacks to my SAT days, like, Oh, God, am I going to go to college? Is my life going to be over? And I'm filling in those little bubbles. You know what I'm talking about? So we think of testing as let's find out what you know. That is not what it means here. The metaphor is the one that we, I just quoted for you in Proverbs 17.3. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. In other words, if you're mining for some sort of precious metal, Silver, gold, iron, whatever it is. And you go get a chunk of rock. And you're trying to get the silver or the gold out of it. It doesn't come out as this gleaming, beautiful, pure rock. It comes out a bunch of mixed minerals. And so what they would do in this time period was take that hunk of rock of mixed minerals and put it in a really, really hot furnace. And all the stuff that wasn't precious metal burns away. If if that's all it was, if there was no precious metal in there, the whole thing burns up. But if there is precious metal, what happens is everything else burns away. You skin it off, skim it off the top. And when you pull it out, it's refined. It's pure. It's beautiful. It's strong. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking testing, which is why I'm using the word refining, because this kind of testing doesn't just reveal. It also refines It doesn't just show what's already in you. It transforms you. So everybody say refine. This is about God refining his people. There he tested them. There he revealed what was inside them. But he's also bringing them through a process of transformation. He led them into this difficult situation. He provided for their needs in the midst of the difficult situation. And now he's instructing them by his word. And all of that is part of the refining process. Now, this starts to get personal because as we're going through some hard stuff in our lives, the hard stuff may just seem like chaos. It may seem irrational. And in a certain sense, it is evil is irrational. It doesn't make sense. Don't try and make sense of it. But what we're saying is that even in the midst of this purposelessness of evil, God has a purpose. Remember what Joseph said at the end of the book of Genesis, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Remember what Peter said in the Acts 2 sermon at at the first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He said, listen, these evil people sinned by delivering Jesus up to be crucified, but they did it according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The evil itself is purposeless. It's irrational. It's chaotic. But God has a purpose in the midst of it, which is to say, if you're going through the struggle and you trust in Jesus you can know he's gonna. He's not going to waste the pain. He's not going to waste the wilderness. He's going to bring good out of it. Last point about God here before we move to a close. Not only does God provide for his people in the wilderness, guide his people in the wilderness, heal his people in the wilderness, and refine his people in the wilderness. God speaks to his people. He speaks to them. In this text, we find God gives them commands to obey. He gives them promises to trust. And he reveals knowledge about himself for them to enjoy. God invites his people into the freedom of living by faith in his word. As a matter of fact, I would say, if you want to know what is God up to when he's refining them, he's teaching them how to live by faith in his word. Because that's the only way to truly be free. We've talked about this already. and It's going to become one of the main themes in Exodus They had a problem which was literal, economic, political, physical oppression and slavery. They've already been set free from that. But you can get set free from Pharaoh and still be a slave in your heart, right? He's trying to teach them how to be free on the inside. The spiritual freedom that really matters. And that comes by faith in the word of God. Look at verse 26, the first half now. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Those might be maybe the most important Words in this passage. Everybody say, listen to the voice. voice. Listening here doesn't just mean that sound waves go into my ears and hit my brain. It means that I'm trusting. I'm receiving the word of God inside of me because this is not some sort of indifferent observations about reality. This is the personal God who has loved his people and he's inviting them into a covenant relationship of love. You can only accept it or reject it. If you stand back and say, I'm going to be neutral and evaluate that, that's called rejecting it. William Gaskins in the back, shout out. And I were studying Deuteronomy earlier this week and talking about this because we hear you hear the heart of a wounded lover in Deuteronomy. When God is saying to his people over and over, I spoke to you, but you wouldn't hear me. I spoke to you, but you wouldn't hear me. And it's much like if you poured yourself out into a a love letter to your beloved them reading it is is not like a relationally neutral thing, right? Either they're going to receive it and respond by, with faith and love and enter into a covenant relationship with you, or they're going to reject it. They might reject it hot. They might reject it with objective coldness. You'd probably prefer the hot, wouldn't you? But there is no neutral here. The word of the Lord is a word of command and promise that invites the people into relationship. So when he says, listen to the voice, he's saying, trust me. Look at how I've showed you my love. Just trust me. Listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandment and keep all his statutes. If they trust him, they're going to obey his commandments because they're going to know that the path of obedience is the path of life. It's about faith, but faith is getting worked out in obedience, which is why Paul in Romans one says the point of his gospel ministry is to bring about the obedience of faith. Jesus makes the point that I'm trying to make, that listening to the voice is the way to live free, in John chapter 8. Because there's some people who have seen his miracles, and they've started to follow him. And in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, we read this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and you know the end of the verse, and the truth will set you what? Living by faith in the word of Jesus, that's what makes you free. The people are free externally, but they're not yet free internally. God has shown his trustworthiness through his acts, and so does Jesus. Jesus has been healing the people. He's about to die on the cross for the sins of the people. And he's saying, I'm showing you my love. Now, if you'll trust me, if you'll trust my word, then you'll be free. Now, as we move to a conclusion today, I just want to finish by giving you a proclamation followed by a a question. We've had a lot of questions today. I want to I want to finish with a question. Here's the proclamation. I want to end where we started. And I just want to say to you, Jesus is with you in the wilderness. Jesus is with you in the wilderness. Friends, Jesus did not die on the cross For your sins, out of love for you, in order to then abandon you when you walk through the wilderness. That's not how he works. The same Jesus Christ who died for your sins and who rose again with power over death is the same Jesus who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you'll trust me, not only will you have forgiveness, but I'll transform you. I'll change you. I'll be with you. I'll make you like me. Jesus is with you in the wilderness. That's the main point. So everybody turn to each other and say, Jesus is with you. But now I want to end with this question. This is a real question for you to ponder. Do you think that our Lord might be refining some of us right now by taking us into the wilderness? You don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to think about that. I asked that question For multiple reasons, first of all, for myself, the answer is yes, personally. But I also think for probably many of us here, a lot of you have shared with me very difficult and painful things that are going on in your life. And if you're not right now, maybe God's got you on the mountaintop. Praise God. Maybe he's got you in the green pastures or he's leading you by the still waters right now. Praise God. But I'm just going to tell you the rest of your life is probably not going to be unremitting green pastures. That's not how it works. We're all going to go through the wilderness. So whether right now you feel like you're going through a wilderness or not, this word still applies to you, friends. If you find yourself going through difficult times and you feel tempted to grumble against the Lord like the children of Israel did, I would just encourage you to pause and meditate on the track record of God. That was their problem. The root of their rebellion was they didn't trust God because they kept forgetting God's faithfulness, which is why, as the story continues to unfold, when he says, listen to my voice, listen to my voice, he's going to say, don't you remember, remember God's faithfulness, remember the works of the Lord, remember I'm going to ask you, when you go through the wilderness and you feel tempted to grumble, God wants to show you something about himself and about yourself in that wilderness. I feel sure about it. But if you're going to get that message, you need to remember God's track record of steadfast love as he revealed it to you in Scripture, in the cross of Jesus Christ, and in your own life. Anybody want to testify that God showed some steadfast love in your own life? Anybody ever didn't know how to pay your bills and God took care of them? Anybody ever get sick and God healed you? Anybody ever sinned who deserved to go to hell and Jesus died on the cross for your sins? That's, that's who we are. That's our life. Anybody have a hope of resurrection life and the new creation that you didn't deserve? That's Jesus' track record. That's His track record. As we go to the Lord's Supper, I'm going to just read the words of Psalm 103. To remind you of the track record of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Forget not all His benefits. That's another way of saying, remember His track record. Who forgave all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle eagles. He has never left you and he never will. Stand with me for the Lord's Supper. I'm going to say a prayer for us now. Our Lord God, forgive us for forgetting. Lord, we trust you. Your track record is good. You have proven your faithfulness and steadfast love. And I pray as we go to the Lord's table right now that you would remind us again of the gospel of grace. Remind us of your steadfast love. We need it. We need it, Lord. For all those in this room who are in the wilderness right now, help us not to grumble against you, but with humility and faith to listen to your word and trust you. For all those who are going through green pastures or even enjoying the mountaintop right now, but they may face that wilderness later, I pray that you would bring this word to their minds in that moment. And my simple prayer is, in Jesus' name, that you would make us a people of mature, mature faith. So that when we're going through hard times, our eyes will not be fixed on ourselves or on our circumstances, but on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. So now, bless the bread, bless the cup, bless our hearts with faith by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.